Oklahoma just outside the FSU 10. Quentin Griffin, touchdown! Welcome into another edition of West of Everest. You all know that one. That's Quinton Griffin running through the Florida State defense for a 10-yard touchdown. A touchdown that effectively iced the Sooners' last national championship, which turned out to be a 13-2 win over the Seminoles back in January of 2001. And I'll explain why we went with that particular clip for the intro here in a moment. Hello again, I am Lee Benson, joined as always by Grant Benson. We're here to talk OU football, despite being in the throes of the college football offseason. Pretty light week for Oklahoma news, from what I can tell, but we'll power through and do what we can to make this episode as interesting as possible. We've got a smattering of recruiting slash transfer portal news to touch up on coming up. And if you listened to last week's show, episode 305, we talked about the offensive line room what the future looks like, as well as we look back at all the guys who've been drafted since Bill Biedenboe's been at Oklahoma. Now, during that episode, Grant wanted to know how Oklahoma's drafted linemen in the NFL compared to Alabama and Georgia's drafted linemen. So I decided to do a deep dive to see if Oklahoma's players have had more of an impact in the league compared to the other guys. So we'll hit on that. We'll go through all the draft picks. Plus, of course, Baker Mayfield and the Bucks made it to the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. Been a while on this show since we've talked about Baker Mayfield, and we all love Baker here, so at the end of the show, we'll do some NFL talk if you all want to stick around for that. Now let's welcome in Grant for the first time. Hey, Grant, what's going on today? Nothing much. Just sort of recovering from last night, watching a preview of the Western Conference Finals in Minneapolis here between the Thunder and the uh, the Timberwolves. And I can tell you, I mean, really good win for the Thunder. Really good win for the Thunder. I don't know... When that Western Conference Finals happens in in a few months, I, uh, I I I don't know I don't know where my loyalties are going to lie. I don't I don't know what to do there. So it's like I when I was in Oklahoma a lot last season, I went to quite a few Thunder games and sort of started to to kind of develop some sort of partisanship there. But of course, I always got to rep my Timberwolves here, my my Timber pups. So it's it's going to be tough. It's it's going to be tough. But man, what a what a fun time, huh? <laughs> what a fun time. Yeah, we record. This episode, Sunday morning, the night after OKC and Minnesota played. And yeah, two top teams in the West. Uh, I don't know how much basket, how much NBA we'll, we'll talk, but hey, I mean, if, if Oklahoma City does continue to play well, I don't know, maybe, maybe we'll talk about that later on. The thing, real quick, I know you guys don't care about the NBA. Well, maybe some of you do. The thing that annoys me some of the, you know, the most about the NBA, since I've, you know, I've worked at News 9, a lot of you may know that, covered the Thunder a lot, so I've been following the thunder basically since 2016 and the nba I, I didn't really watch the nba much before that wasn't that interested but now i'm more into it know more about how it goes the worst thing about the nba to me when it comes to the playoffs even if a team is really good and has been good all season long if they're kind of young or don't have experience for whatever reason that team just all of a sudden decides to start playing poorly against some other teams that have veteran players or maybe like they're not as good and my biggest uh, example of that was, I think it was the Celtics. The Celtics had a really good team, maybe in 2018 or 2019. And they were obviously the best team in the East, but I think they still lost to, uh, I think, the Cavs. The Cavs, like when LeBron was on the Cavs and they weren't as great before he went to the Lakers. And I remember like all my friends that 
know the NBA more than me, and they like Cavs are still going to win. That's just the NBA playoffs for you. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. The Celtics are so much better than the Cavs. Why can't they just go out there and play basketball the way they've been playing all year long? It's basketball. Make your shots the way you normally do. For whatever reason, in the playoffs, younger teams apparently, and this will include the Thunder once they make it, and to some extent the Wolves, I suppose, these teams just don't play as well in the playoffs. And you watch, and it's annoying. It's frustrating. Like, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, even though he's a veteran player by now, he'll just start to struggle. Chet Holmgren will start to struggle. Jay, like, all these guys will just not play the same way because it's the playoffs. And I guess they play better defense, which they do. And that's the thing about the NBA playoffs that annoy the heck out of me. You can't, it's harder to project just because, oh, they're just, they're young and they don't have experience in the playoffs and it's a totally different game. I agree. This is a true nib high football rules moment though, for sure. Okay. I, that uh, went way longer than it should have gone. Yeah, no, good. To, good. NBA is fun. We like the NBA here. <laughs> nah, well. How about that intro though? So uh, everyone knows that. Quentin Griffin, touchdown run. Oklahoma wins against Florida State. And the reason I played it is because Sports Illustrated, it was all over the news on Friday, and the Quentin Griffin Sports Illustrated cover from after that game is one of the most memorable covers, I think, of our childhood. I remember that one after they won it. Uh, by the way, I know there's a lot of people talking about how Sports Illustrated is dead and like, oh, like, oh no, this is horrible. The brand is not dead. Uh, the brand's going to continue on, prob- probably maybe not in magazine form anymore, so I guess in that sense... Maybe that's dead, but let's be real. That's been dead for years. Who, who gets Sports Illustrated and cares about what's on the cover of the magazine anymore? Like, when we were in high school and stuff, it was still a big deal. When was the last time Sports Illustrated actual magazine covers were a big deal? It's been a I while. It's definitely been a while, but I, I, I do like the tradition of like framing the really cool ones, especially because they're, I mean, a lot of them are cool. Like, and I still have the, the Quentin Griffin on the cover. I have that framed. It's in my bedroom. That will be in... That will be hung, like hanged up in like every single property that like I own for the rest of my life. It'll always be there, and so I like stuff like that. And you know if you know if they ever win another one, hopefully it's like I, it'd be sweet if there was another thing like that that I could hang up and sort of like pair the two together. So I yeah you know I'm I kind of miss like I I saw that news this week, but like I I also feel like that story has been a thing like at least three times in the last like decade. That exact <laughs> yeah. same story has has happened, and then. SI comes back and even like I saw Pat Forty who is the the lead SI like college football writer like he tweeted the day that news came out that it's he's like he's still employed by Sports Illustrated and so like it's which is like uh you know that's too bad but um (laughs) (laughs) I that's what you you never want someone to lose their job but I I just I don't like Pat Forty the guy is a guy is basically a robot writing college football stories um so uh, it's it's not going anywhere, and so I, I'm I'm sure that they'll still have like a lot of those com- com- like like commemorative covers and stuff like that because it's a money maker for them. It doesn't you know actually it does cost a lot of money to print stuff, but whatever. Um, it's uh it it was cool though because I did see I saw the Quentin Griffin cover a lot the day that that news came out, and also like there's also you know in the 2000s especially there's a lot OU was on the cover of that thing a lot, and there's some really cool like the Tommy Harris one where it's so. It, the co- it's so 2002 the cover too it's so great but he looks great in the cover and it says Oklahoma number one there and that's all this stuff is fun like I I really like those covers and I just don't think that I those are probably not going anywhere it's like whenever we think of Sports Illustrated it's probably going to be because we see covers like that they're still going to do it they understand their brand right 
Well, and also people that are within our age range that are 30s and maybe a little bit younger and also certainly a little bit older than us will remember Sports Illustrated for other reasons like with the NCAA football game because they used Sports Illustrated to which was a really cool feature in that game. And I think maybe over time they, they might have changed it to ESP in the magazine. At the end, they only there, had it in, for. They only had that feature in the game for. I, I want to say like three or four years, but that was like that was, was early towards 2000s. the end. Yeah. So, and with all the news about how NCAA football, the video game, is supposedly going to be coming out this year, even though it was supposed to come out last year, then got delayed, and we were allegedly going to get some sort of update on the day of the national championship game, which didn't happen. And now this week, I saw some unnamed sources and sites saying oh we have a release date even though ea sports hasn't confirmed it i'm not going to believe anything about this game until ea sports actually does an official announcement but i bring that up because considering I, you would think that if it actually is in development which i guess it is but we haven't heard anything about it for a while that type of feature i'd be curious to see if they continue that on and they they in the dynasty mode or whatever if they have some sort of magazine cover or newspaper cover if that's going to be part of the new game that would be so awesome i would that would that hit me and that would hit me in my feels super hard that that'd get the nostalgia bug kicking big time which means they're definitely not going to do it <laughs> yeah it's been a while since you've been in the video game world man that's there's there's no competition in video games anymore so like the product has just gotten worse and worse and worse there's just less features all of the weirdos are like super into the ultimate team stuff and buying extra card packs and all of that loser stuff. And no offense if you're into it. Anybody listening to this. Yeah, it's too bad. Okay, so one other thing I wanted to do that I think could be pretty fun is, and also very sad and we all might cry, is, you know how long it's been since Oklahoma won a national championship? Of course you all know. But specifically, as we record this, it's been 23 years and 18 days. January the 3rd, 2001 was the last time OU won a national title. 23 years and 18 days. I mean, there are kids that have, I suppose, gone, gone through an entire Oklahoma career of college that were born after Oklahoma last won a national title. Like, they have no – it's – and yet we were kids when it happened. We have memories of it. Uh, certainly don't have the same kind of memories we would have of it if we were adults when it happened. But still, you know, I remember a good amount. But here's what I wanted to do, because you see this from time to time when things have happened a long time ago. They're doing this a lot now with the Detroit Lions. Now that they're winning and they're playing home playoff games. Like, oh, well, the last time the Lions won a playoff game or hosted a home playoff game, this was happening. I thought, let's go back to 2001, January. And see what was going on just to feel like really bad about everything but also maybe laugh so grant uh fun things from 2001 i found january the 9th 2001 so six days after ou won a national championship last apple launches itunes <laughs> we're doing this right now huh i don't i yeah. don't like that oh man yeah it's like when i later when that I see year that, like when i see that i'm sorry like i see 23 years and 18 days and I think for a lot of modern-day OU fans right now, that 2000 season was when they first kind of fell in love with them and started following the team. And I'm, I'm, I'm confident that this is the same for everybody who was kind of around that age when it happened, you know, old enough to remember it vividly, but also it still feels like a long time ago. And um, 
I know there's a lot of us in this fan base that that check those boxes and in a lot of ways, right? It's just been that's been our journey as an OU fan. That's what has defined it. It's been up until this point, right? It's it's been a 23 year and 18 day journey to feel that again. To f- and it just hasn't ha- and it all it makes me wonder, right? Like when when Georgia ended their national title streak in in 2021, I think theirs went over 40 years since they had won one. And like I, I, I think to myself, like, oh man, there's seven to 17 more years to go to get to that. And like, it's, it sucks to think about. And uh, just like all the things that have to go right and all of like the opportunities they've had since then where just one little thing went wrong and it derailed everything really makes you appreciate it. It's like, I know it's like one of the inside jokes, right? Is that like, man, did they just, did they use up all of their program luck that one season? Like, is, if there is karma in the universe, is like, is that, did everything go their way that year and have they been paying for it ever since? And you have to ask yourself, like, was it worth it? <laughs> was it worth it? Definitely was in the moment, I'm sure. But as a 10-year-old at the time, you can't appreciate it. And that sucks. You can't, because that's just, we had really started paying attention to OU football the year before. Like, when Bob Stoops got there, for whatever reason, it kind of clicked with us. That's when we started paying attention. And boom, year two, national title. Oh, this is normal. This is what happens. <laughs> I mean, and I know people like to point out it's now been way longer between the last national title than OU had to wait between the 2001 and the previous one. What was it, 85, I think they last won it? Yeah, and if you go back and so you, only, you rewatch that broadcast. Only a scant 15 years. You go back, you rewatch that broadcast too, and it's like, you know, when they finally win one, and they, it's – the way that the you know the you know greasy is talking on there, it's just like it's it's like this is a long time coming. It's like this was like a dead giant, and now they're back, and like it, it's crazy to think like basically the from nineteen eighty five to two thousand, that that length of time it kind of is like what Texas just went through essentially. That's how long that was for them until they like were able to kind of get back to winning the Big Twelve again, and I and. I vividly remember this entire this entire turn of Texas, like over these last 13, 14 years, and it's it's gone really fast. It hasn't really felt like that long of a time. It's weird. Okay, let's get back to fun things that happened in two thousand one that we can get back because I have I have so many things here that are gonna make people laugh and also go, Are you kidding me? So I said that January 9th, so six days after OU won it, Apple launched iTunes. And just for the record, later that year in October, Apple introduced for the first time the iPod. The iPod came out later that year, which now are irrelevant because everyone's got it on their phone. So that's uh, that's that was kind of something that stood out. I know we thought, you know, film, TV, uh, music, that's always fun to think about. So uh, want to guess what the highest and there's no way you would know this. Guess the highest grossing film the week of the national title game when OU won it back in January of 2000, first week of January. I, I wouldn't be able to guess it. Who is who is the top build star in this movie? And then I will almost certainly get it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll definitely get it at that point. Uh, Tom Hanks. Oh, geez. I, actually, I mean, I don't, is it Toy Story 2? No, no. Castaway. Oh, yeah. See, no, I wouldn't have gotten that one. That's That's not one of my favorites. But I do rem- now yeah, you I've say never, that I remember I, seeing the previews around the time that season watching OU football. I remember it. So Castaway, it had been out in theaters for a bit. 
Uh, it had been number one for, I think, about three weeks. By the way, Castaway earned $430 million worldwide. Only cost 90 mil to make. So that, Jump that's, a, that's a... Jump change. Made a pretty nice profit there. Uh, how about this? So do you want to know which movie overtook Castaway for number one at the box office? Uh, it, so it after... <laughs> after uh, Castaway was not number one anymore. You know what the next movie was that took it over? <laughs> uh, Josie and the Pussycat Dolls. <laughs> uh, Save the Last Dance. Ooh, <laughs> Julia Stiles. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Save the last. So that I mean, this is just wild. Uh, okay, so how about this? Uh, number one song on the Billboard Hot 100 the week of the game. Oh, it's got to. It's got to be like a Britney Spears song or In Sync. No, no. A clo- I mean, same kind of that era. Destiny's Child. Independent Women Part 1. I, I, I've never heard a Destiny's Child song that I enjoy, so I, I'm not the, the target audience for this one. But that was number one. But, but I, so I looked at the list, the top 100, and there's some, there's some great stuff on here. I, I got to go down the list of some, uh, some highlights of, of what songs were out and on the Billboard Top 100 list. And I'm not a big music guy. Grant, you're way more into music than I am. Our sister, like, everybody's into music more than me. But, you know, when I was a kid, I mean, I was, how old was I? I was 13, I don't know, 12, 13, somewhere in there. So, like, I remember, uh, you know, obviously stuff when you're a kid, you remember stuff. So here we go. (laughs) Down the list. Number three, everyone knows this song. Number, it's still like a one, not a one-hit wonder, but everyone will still hear this time time. Number three on the list, Shaggy. It wasn't me. Yes. Yes. I hate that song. That song's no, awful. No, great song. Wonderful. Keep going. Terrible, terrible song. Uh, number five. Uh, <laughs> this is a classic. And this band has gotten a lot of talk in the last few years, probably more than you would ever imagine. Creed with arms wide open. Number five. Uh, I was never a huge Creed guy. But yeah, you know, I'm, I'm familiar. Number six on the list. Outcast. Miss Jackson. Never liked that song. Didn't really particularly like many Outkast songs. Uh, I think uh, Roses by Outkast is one of the worst songs ever made. It's awful. The reason why it even comes up is that the gym I go to, they'll, they'll play it every once in a while. And I, I, wanna, I, I think about leaving when they put it on. It, it goes on and on and on. For, it's like a 10-minute song. It's probably not that long. Anyways, horrible song. Uh, number 15 on the, the list, Three Doors Down, Kryptonite. I like that song. And this is, uh, this is where we get to the fun stuff here. Number 19, Nelly, E-I. Let's go. Great song. Country, country Grammar. That was the very first, uh, very first CD with the, uh, the parental advisory thing I ever owned. Big time. <laughs> Number 32 on the list from January of 2001, Casey and JoJo, Crazy. Great that song. Just, that just reminded me. I'm going to have to, next time I'm at uh, karaoke, I'm going to have to pull out some KC and JoJo. That's perfect. Love that. And uh, th- these last, I have three more, and they're all just, they're all just great. They're, and, and not necessarily good songs, but just, uh, yeah. Number 54, <laughs> Ricky Martin, She Bangs. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Oh, man. Uh, number 74. Limp Biscuit, rolling. Oh, now we're going. Awesome song. Now I know you've been loving this. <laughs> and finally, 
Number 75 on the list. This is more for, for this podcast, maybe not anybody else. Crazy Town Butterfly. It's a... Uh, <laughs> the one-hit wonder. Crazy Town Butterfly is, the, uh, is definitely the subject of one of Lee and I's longest-running inside jokes. That is a perfect song, and it should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <laughs> I hope everyone else out there... Maybe not everyone. I hope somebody else out there listening has also... History with Butterfly by Crazy Town. All right, so that was, uh, that was the Billboard Top 100 of songs that were on the list in January, the first week of January 2001. Uh, everyone likes to talk about, uh, you know, how about a gallon of gas, you know? Like, how much did a gallon of gas cost on average back then? Gosh, I don't even know if I want to hear this. This is going to be, what is it, like $1.20? $1.49. on average. And uh, just to kind of give you some content, this is according to the U.S. Energy Information Administration. Uh, to give you some context, last month, December 2023, on average, a gallon of gas in the country was $3.26. So that's a, uh, a 118% increase in 23, which honestly, I kind of figured it'd be more than that. Yeah, on me too. Average. That doesn't, uh, I think gas, I mean, gas prices are, are weird and... Man, man, this if this is a uh, this is kind of a sign of things to come here in west of Everest off season. It's gonna be ooh, just just wait till we get into just like really serious film criticism in February. It's gonna be great. <laughs> I guess I didn't put this in my notes, but I did look this up. And whatever, I mean, this is not that surprising. But the the highest or most watched television show, and this isn't necessarily for that week. Just like for 2001, because I couldn't really find any sort of specific stats. You want to guess what the highest watched television show was in 2001? Survivor? No. It was up there. This is according to Nielsen, like Wikipedia data. Uh, it's a, uh, it's, it's not, it's a uh, Friends. Yeah, Friends was huge. Oh, yeah, that's not. But no, I guess, because uh, yeah, I was going to bring that up, but that was um, Survivor, where that, you know, that that summer that fall that or that summer was the first that summer before OU's national title year was when Survivor premiered and it was part of just like that fall for me because that fall they re-aired that first season of Survivor and that was always like part of my weekly thing I would always watch Survivor that week and then it was always fun because it was Thursday night and that meant we were only one day away from watching OU play on Saturday loved that loved that so much so yeah, Survivor was up there. It was it might have been number two. I can't remember, but yeah, Friends was still up there throughout the year, and obviously Survivor became one of the most watched shows. I can't recall uh, Monday Night Football was on the list, and it wasn't even in the top five. It makes me wonder. This is before maybe like the NFL like be, turned into the behemoth it is now. Yeah, where totally, I, it's I always the the most watched show. I remember there was it was. The NFL didn't turn into like, I mean, it was always a killer, like the playoffs where like there was always got good ratings and stuff like that. But like people like to bag on Roger Goodell. It did not this. The NFL did not turn into the dominant force that it is today until Roger Goodell got there. OK, I, we're not good. You could throw you or me into that job and it would have been just as successful, like one of the easiest jobs ever. Like it, it's like being an owner of an NFL team. You could be a terrible owner you're still going to make a bunch of money because the NFL makes a bunch of money. It, it, Tell yeah. me, man, once, once Goodell is gone, I bet, I bet the NFL dips a little bit. I mean, if they get some sort of commissioner that's like an Adam Silver, who Adam Silver only cares about the players liking him, and the NBA has been 
I mean, the NBA is the NBA. I, it's never going to overtake the NFL. It's not going to. There's too many games. There's just and people will watch playoff games here and there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, at least Roger Goodell is not somebody that just cares about the players liking him. But his main job is for the owners to like him and the owners to make money, which I suppose maybe Adam Silver's main job is that too. But it really seems like he just wants the players to like him. <laughs> That's yeah. his main thing. What's, what are your thoughts? Bring, bring the discussion here about back to college football and this college football podcast. What are your thoughts on Nick Saban being the, uh, the first commissioner of college football? What are your thoughts on that? Well, number one, have, in order to have a commissioner of football, uh, finally everybody would have to give the bird to the NCAA just in general because the NCAA doesn't even run the playoff right now so like they're already out of it in the most important or the biggest games of the year I don't know I mean why Nick Saban because he's Nick Saban I mean yeah basically I think basically that could be a job I think a lot of people could do I feel like just I mean take a lot of uh unless Nick Saban has some sort of great grand plan for it, which he might. I mean, I mean you're Nick Saban, but you're any. I mean, you're you're consistent, and that's that's exactly what you just said about the NFL commissioner job. I mean, I could do that. Anyone can do that. Just roll out of bed; it'll be easy. I don't think. It's yeah, that easy. when you have a product that millions of people like, it's very difficult to screw it up. You have to try to mess up. That's my point. And I've been around football. I mean, I'm Nick Saban's obviously been around football longer than you and me and uh i mean yeah i I say i could do it that's like a it's hyperbolic but my point is like anybody that is like a professional like you'd have to be really dumb to mess it up that's that's my point and there's people out there that are really dumb and probably could mess it up Uh, but you got to be really stupid too it's the same idea as uh if you're a baseball manager and your team is awesome just don't screw it up. Just put the lineup out there and sit back and watch your team dominate. Like, don't overmanage, don't overanalyze, don't make too many pitching changes or don't tweak it. Just let your, your good players play. And that's kind of the way I look at the NFL. And if you're a commissioner of college, I mean, how could you mess up being a commissioner of college football? Uh, you, I'm, I'm try, like, everybody wants something some idea of that because they want uniformity across the board right so i i mean there's so the thing is there's too many teams that's the problem like you'd have to almost cut back the amount of teams that yeah, were that's why in i don't that's major what i don't college like football. about it that's why i i don't the closer the closer college football gets to a professional product the, like the more off put i am by it um but we'll see i don't know i'm still i'm still watching every saturday so I was like, yeah, it just, it just, I, you know, you say Nick Saban just because Nick Saban is, frankly, just one of the most competent individual human beings in public life that we have in the world right now. Like, that's just kind of, I think that's why most people instantly think of like him as like, yeah, if we're going to do this, he'd be the perfect one. Sure. And I would have confidence that Nick Saban would probably do a pretty good job at that because <laughs> that's been his entire life for the most part, ever since he went to college. I know he, he was in the NFL for a bit, but football has been his life, and he knows well, a lot about football. So, What we're really going to be blown, you know, blown away about in like a month or two is when he freaking announces his run for president. That's why he stepped down. can't believe nobody did the stupid he's running joke after he retired. Yeah. 
Is he gonna? They're gonna tap him as part of that no labels ticket. They're gonna throw him in there. Sure. With Why random not? Random people. Why not? Well, let's continue the college football talk and let's steer it more over to Oklahoma specifically. And I was recently on the Through the Keyhole podcast. I was a guest on that podcast with our friend Brady Trantham. And some of you may be familiar or even be listeners to that show. It's on Patreon. And they've got a team of guys over there and they churn out a lot more OU football content than we do here on our podcast. So I'd encourage you all to look into Through the Keyhole if you have not already. Uh, by the way, some of that content they produce is free. Uh, others, you know, most of it, I believe, though, is behind that Patreon paywall. And I think that the podcast that I did or that I was on is only for Patreon. So uh, just throwing that out there. And I bring it up because Brady and I talked about the Oklahoma offensive line on the most recent podcast. And Brady is not nearly as optimistic about the state of affairs with that position group as we are here on this show. And I know Brady really wanted to get both of us on his podcast together to talk about the Oklahoma offensive line. But since we all couldn't make that trip to Lawrence last weekend, that plan didn't didn't happen. It was spiked. So, you know, what I want to do now on this show is explain Brady's concerns. And I encourage you all to go listen to the podcast to get his full thoughts. But I want to talk about what Brady said to me and I want Grant to react to it because he wanted to, you know, he wanted to hear Grant's reaction because we, I guess we never really responded to it. So uh, Brady's, his concerns also might be similar to a lot of you listeners out there that maybe you're listening to the show and you don't agree with our thoughts on the offensive line. Both Grant and I are pretty, uh, I mean, optimistic's a strong word, but we're just basing it off of history. I mean, the offensive line's been good. They figure it out. Uh, we're not going to get too worked up about it right now. I think that's kind of like really general thoughts about the way Grant and I feel about it. And so, as for Brady goes, I'd say that he's mostly anxious about heading into next season with an Oklahoma offensive line that obviously has had some turnover, and there's some young guys, and they're not going to be working out the kinks against the Big 12 anymore. It's going to be in the SEC, which, of course, is known for having some of the best defensive linemen in the nation. So, even though Oklahoma's mostly been good on the offensive line for years, despite not bringing in as many high-level recruits as we would like them to. That's all been against the Big 12 for the most part, and Brady's concerned that the step up to the SEC is going to make it much more difficult for Oklahoma, which then will make the offensive line not look as solid and steady as it has been for most of the last decade or even longer. And this is where all that turnover of the group comes in, the recruiting misses, all that stuff finally comes home to roost. And not to mention, you throw in the fact that it's going to be the first year starting quarterback out there in Jackson Arnold being thrown in against the best schedule the Sooners have probably seen ever and against some of the best defensive lines consistently they've seen maybe ever. So uh, I throw that all out there. That's kind of what Brady's general concerns are, Grant. What do you say to all of that? Yeah, I mean, I think all of that stuff is is a valid concern. And I know I, I listened to that part of the podcast and um, – I realize, you know, I, I really haven't ever kind of taken that argument at face value and actually just talked about it and my rebuttal on it. And so, like, I, I just, like, want to be clear. I perfectly acknowledge here that a lot of, of my feelings on this involve a certain amount of faith in it. And not it's not necessarily, like, so, like, intellectually, when Brady says this, hey, I'm worried about the SEC, a lot of NFL defensive linemen, pass rushers and all of that against an OU offensive line that, admittedly, there has been lots of churn. And, like, I don't like that either. 
it's that's why last week on the podcast, I really, really wanted to kind of give some credence to that argument. Because when you do go through the recruiting classes, when you do see who they have on campus, it's obvious that there's a lot of classes that they've had in the last handful of years they did not hit on. There were guys that were total busts. There's been a lot of guys coming in and out of the program. They have had to rely on some transfers. All of that is perfectly legitimate to, to be concerned about because I, th- I think the logic there is eventually your, your luck is going to run out, right? And maybe we could have gotten away with that in the Big 12, but now going up against a lot more kind of future NFL defensive linemen, it'll be a lot harder. The first thing that comes in my mind when I think of that logic is the 2019 offensive line, which... I personally think has been maybe probably the worst offensive line they've had since they've won they won the Joe Moore Award, um, but they were pretty much fine the entire season in the Big Twelve. Did they you know ran for a ton of yards, had a you know uh, scored a lot of points, never really struggled to move the ball at all. Uh, but then when they got against LSU in the Peach Bowl, uh, R.J. Proctor being at left tackle was just completely exposed, complete just could not block anybody. Um, and if you remember the other person they had been kind of putting it left tackle that season when it wasn't RJ Proctor was, uh, help me out here, Lee, a uh, big tall white dude. I can't was remember it, his name. Was it Swenson? It was, was it Swenson, Swenson. Thank you. Yep. Um, Eric Swenson. And he, you know, he, and you know, in the big 12, he was always kind of serviceable and okay, but it was, you know, pretty obvious that he wouldn't be able to hold up against like, I, I think it was, you know, Kalevin Shasan was, was the LSU edge rusher who just abused RJ Proctor over and over and over again. And so, like, I want to grant everybody that it's it, it's a it's a legitimate concern. Um, here's my logic of why I am more cautiously optimistic than cautiously pessimistic. Alabama just won the SEC this past season, and I saw I, I watched Alabama a lot this season, and and they won the SEC with an offensive line that, at best, was as good as OU's 2019 offensive line. At best. And I got to be honest with you, that that Alabama versus Texas game was very illuminating for me. Very illuminating. Alabama could not block Texas. Could not block them up front at all in that game. And then three weeks later, we saw Oklahoma block Texas pretty effectively. Pretty effectively that entire time. And that just gave me a lot of confidence. And I... Basically, my feeling is OU's offensive line, even with the rhetoric of the fan base and even with the frustration of the different, the different combinations and not necessarily settling on the right five a lot of the times until the second half of the season, even then, even doing that, even against Big 12 teams, they more often than not have still been the elite of the elite of offensive lines in college football. And in my feeling, this is a classic example of us being very spoiled as a fan base. OU has been terrific on the offensive line for a long time. And when they're not terrific 100% of the time, it's very easy to see that. And so, basically, I think OU is going into the SEC right now, and the only team in the SEC in the 2023 season that I can definitively say that I thought their offensive line was better than OU's is Georgia, and that's it. So that's where I'm at. Yeah, I mean, I think there's some value in, in using the Alabama example as something that you can hang your hat on. I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of a one-off thing, though. Uh, Alabama, it was a weird year. I think Alabama clearly struggled at pass blocking, which is what Oklahoma's strength has been. Uh, but Alabama clearly was very good at run blocking. That was kind of what their strength of the, of the team was. And, Al, and OU, 
I think Oklahoma's run blocking is probably pretty solid. I they just don't know who to play at running back apparently, and like when they do play their good running backs, Oklahoma looks pretty good. Uh, yeah, but Alabama gave up almost the most sacks of anybody in college football this year. I mean, they get they were almost dead last in college football in sacks allowed. So it yeah, it was an offensive line that clearly had trouble pass blocking. Granted, I'm sure Jalen Milrow is probably responsible for some of those sacks because he just isn't very good. And yeah, that he I mean not everything is on the offensive line. Sometimes it's on the quarterback too. But sure, that's that's definitely helpful. It's is is bizarre. Again, I, Georgia fans have got to be just how the heck that that'll be one of those games where losing to Bama in the SEC title game is going to be. It makes no sense. It makes no sense to me that that happened. That's one game, though. I mean, throughout a consistent schedule of SEC teams, will Oklahoma's offensive line look the same? I don't know. I I kind of tend to think that they're just kind of kind of kind of adjust to the competition. I just think they're gonna competition grows up and they'll just they'll adjust and and maybe that's just very simplistic way to look at it and it is it is very simplistic it's just the track record of the team has been good but it is fair to point out hey they're going to be playing against this consistent schedule of better defensive linemen better defensive lines heck i use the same exact argument with big 10 teams playing they don't play a consistent schedule of good pass offenses and they take advantage of it so this is kind of the same the same principle just in a different position group where now you're going to see Oklahoma, uh, an offensive line that yeah, maybe they haven't been challenged as much consistently on the, on the defensive line in the big 12, even though I would argue that the big 12 defensively has been a little bit better than maybe we give them credit for a lot more creative in certain ways, but yeah, talent wise, of course the sec in the trenches is better. There's no doubt about that. So yeah, like, will they be able to hold up consistently against these defensive linemen? Whenever you're even playing teams like, you know, Tennessee and South Carolina, where, I guess Tennessee could be pretty good, but teams like South Carolina, Mississippi State that aren't going to be necessarily that great, they still could have one or two dudes up front that are like, oh, those guys are pretty darn good. So it's, it's and it'll fair. be interesting to see. And like, so yeah, I just want to. It's it is an open question, and I think right now there's a there's two sides. There's two sides of the coin. There's there's definitely a half glass full and a half glass empty sort of mindset, and I that's where I'm at right now. I. I feel like I'm sometimes on an island with saying that OU has had an elite offensive line for 13 consecutive seasons. I know to a lot of people that sounds ridiculous, but I, I just I see so much terrible offensive line play in college football, so much. And OU just at no point in time in the last decade and a half has been terrible. on the. They just haven't. And it, admittedly, it's a lot of churn, a lot of new bodies that you're relying on. I get it. And I, I do understand the logic of your luck may run out there. I get it. Like, you don't want to run out on R.J. Proctor out there again at left tackle. So I hope that's not what Spencer Brown is. But I, you know, I, I, I think the track record speaks for itself, and that's where, that's where that, that gives me a lot of confidence. And also, you know, I'm coming off of, of an offseason, and then you can go back and listen to our shows in August when we were starting, the, you know, the preview show and previewing the, the 2023 season. I went really hard in the paint after the receiving core, thinking that that was the worst the, on paper that was since the mid-2000s. And they ended up being, in my mind, by far the best position group on the team. And so I'm, and I'm, it's, it's, you know, that's, that's an oranges versus apples comparison for sure. But there's just something about a lot of the times your biggest fears are, are never really as serious as you think. But like also, I... I totally get it. Like I've, I've been following the NIL stuff too. 
and you know look you know losing bidding wars essentially and like it's like i and my emotions of emotion yeah I'm, it's it's a little frustrating i get it totally like you want to do everything you possibly can to get there and um it's it, it is really easy to point at the offensive line right now and say hey that is the position group where recruiting hasn't been the greatest there has been a lot of churn with guys coming in and out of the program grant all of that and I, I totally understand the logic of maybe that luck will run out. But man, Bill Beatenbow's track record is just exquisite, exquisitely good. So another part of last week's podcast was, you know, all the NFL guys that have been drafted from OU since Beatenbow's been there. And I went and took a look at Georgia and Alabama to compare. And since 2017, which was the year that I decided is the first year to kind of grade Beatenbow because his first recruiting class when he was involved with at Oklahoma was 2014, and those guys would be first eligible for the draft in 2017. So 2017, starting there until now, there's been nine players on the offensive line that have been drafted from OU. And Alabama, in that same span, has had 10. Georgia had had 11. And so, Grant, you brought up how uh, – you know, like, uh, I, I, hold on. I, I brought up like the caliber of player, though, is different because both – Georgia and Bama have had four first rounders and OU's only had one and that's Anton Harrison but then you brought up like what about guys like Orlando Brown and Creed Humphrey because they've been some of the best linemen in the NFL like how much do, does Biedenboe get credit for that over I said yeah I mean that's great so I thought you know what we're not experts on Georgia and Alabama's offensive linemen in the NFL I mean we know more about OU's let's kind of do a deep dive and look at the success or lack thereof of certain guys being drafted and so I went back and looked at all nine OU guys that were drafted, all 10 Bama guys, all 11 Georgia guys that were drafted over the last, what, six or seven drafts since 2017. And here it, I, I broke it down into multiple different categories of like how they've been in the NFL. Elite, very good, fine, jag, just a guy, <laughs> uh, totally nothing, or it's too early to tell. And so here is, and I think that's kind of the easiest way to look at it. When it comes to the elite category, I think based on my metrics, and I, I emailed you my metric. I'm not sure if you looked at it, but I got you got to do your own judging. Uh, by, the, by my metrics, the elite category, OU wins between these three schools. They've got two guys that are in the elite category, Orlando Brown and Creed Humphrey. By my by my uh, metrics, Alabama and Georgia, either both of those schools have none so far. And they have, they have a couple. They each have one player that may get there, but it's not there yet. So when it comes to elite players, Oklahoma, I think, is winning this. But when it comes to very good, okay, I, Alabama, by my count, five that have been very good. Georgia, only two. OU one when you go to the fine category like yeah they're fine OU one oh by the way I guess I'll, I'll say the name like for OU very good the one Ben Powers in the fine category for for OU I put Cody Ford for Alabama one fine for Georgia two fine you get to the JAG category just a guy OU's got two, Bobby Evans and Drew Samia. Alabama with three, three Jags. 
Georgia with five. Five Jags. The nothing category just did absolutely nothing. OU's got one. Unfortunately, that's Marquise Hayes. Alabama has none. Georgia has none. At least all of their guys have kind of done at least kind of something. And then too early to tell for OU. I say there's two of them. Morris, who's in there. Alabama, too early to tell, just one. And Georgia, too early to tell, two. So, and we can kind of go through all, all, all the, you know, or not, all we want. Uh, but, like, what do you think about that? Uh, I guess you looked over a little bit. Like, what are your thoughts? No, I mean, I, I, one, I think it's a really, it's, it's a good, thorough examination by you. And so, I mean, I, I'm looking at it here, and I will say, I, Alabama and Georgia have, have had more draft picks. They have. Not like a ton more. But when I look at this, I think that OU stacks up really, really well against two of the three most dominant recruiting teams in college football over the last five or six years. Okay. And, that, and o, OU hasn't been getting the same elite dudes out of high school that Georgia and Alabama have. And they're, they're kind of right there with them in NFL production. Yeah, it's so I think so Bama, I, again, the elite play, I mean, Orlando Brown and Creed Humphrey. I mean, we don't need to under, I mean, we can kind of go over their resume. I mean, Orlando Brown's been a four time pro bowler, two with the Ravens, two with the Chiefs. He's with Cincinnati right now, just played his first year with the Bengals. According to PFF, he had his worst year of his career, but he's, he's still graded been, at 66. He's, ne- he's never been super highly graded by PFF, but yet, I, you know, there's a lot of teams that want to give him a whole boatload of money to be their left tackle, and I, I think that tells you a lot more about him than, than anything. So there's that. There's Creed Humphrey. We know that he's been a full-time starter with the Chiefs since he got in the league. Two-time Pro Bowler, second-team All-Pro in 2022 has a Super Bowl ring, and PFF graded him as the fifth-best center this past season. So uh, two elite guys. As far as Bama goes, I so far they, they have no elite guys. They have one player that might be on his way to elite status, and that is Landon Dickerson. Landon Dickerson was a second-round pick, and he's been a full-time starter since his rookie season with the Eagles, and he's been graded as one of the best guards in the NFL but he hasn't had any sort of like pro bowls or anything like that. So he might be on his way to elite status. He's been very good. Second round pick. And then at Georgia, they have one potential elite guy, but too early to tell. And that's Andrew Thomas. He was a first round pick left tackle for the giants. Uh, Been a full-time starter since he's a rookie. One of the best tackles in the NFL. He was injured though. This past season limited him to only 10 games, but he's been, healthy for the most part and but he hasn't had any sort of like pro bowls or anything like that but he's a guy that could be considered elite uh but not not quite even there where creed or orlando brown is i think he's a he's a guy who's been sort of a roller coaster like when he's been good he's been really really good but i think his thing he hasn't really been able to stay healthy i think he had a really weird rookie season where he didn't get on the field a whole lot either because of availability or ability um but no like he's he's a guy who like I know when the you know the Giants of course were in the playoffs last season. I think he had a really good year last year, and like that was one of his. But he's been sort of an inconsistent guy. But I I always remember he was a uh, Andrew Thomas was the subject of had like a back and forth with a Georgia fan before that Rose Bowl that year where you know we were going back and I was basically saying this OU offensive line is a monster. There's at least four NFL draft picks and 
And it was always kind of there was one guy who came back to me because I know Isaiah Wynn was was George's left tackle that season, and he he has not had a good NFL career. Um, but Andrew Thomas was as a true freshman, I think Georgia's right tackle in that Rose Bowl, and that was the Georgia fan said, "Ah, no, Andrew Thomas is a really really good player." And I think our little bet was that I said that Orlando Brown was going to be a first round pick, and Andrew Thomas ended up being the first round pick. But I think. Up to this point in time, Orlando Brown's had a better career than Andrew Thomas in the NFL. Um, that doesn't, I mean, they're both good players. It, it doesn't really matter, but I always, I always found that interesting. Yeah, so you mentioned when. I, I listed him in the very good category. George has got two, and Thomas is one of them. He's not quite to the elite status yet. And Aunt Isaiah Wynn, I, I decided to count him as very good. He was a first-round pick to the Patriots, and he was their starting left tackle as a rookie. The problem with Isaiah Wynn is he's been injured a lot. He's been injury played. He only he's only played one full season out of five in his career. And he's now with the Dolphins. And he also was injured in 2023 and only played seven games. So I think he's a guy that when he's been healthy, he's been good. He's been it's just he's not been healthy consistently. And so that's been Isaiah Wynn's issue. Interesting so, stuff, though. I, I mean, I, I like that stuff. It's um, yeah, Alabama and Georgia, more more draft picks. And the, hey, they bring in more talent via high school. And hey, I like I'm right. I I also want Bill Bedenboe to get the five star guys too. I like I'm not I'm not anti getting five star dudes on the offensive line. Um, but I just his his track record is is just really great. And um, still, even with all of the all of the shenanigans and and what appears to be roster mismanagement, said still right there with 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 two of the most dominant recruiters the sport has ever seen. And so I'm sure most of you are more interested in obviously the OU guys. And so maybe some of you are like thinking, oh, yeah, like what happened to some of these offensive linemen, these OU offensive linemen since they were drafted? And I'll go down the list. So we talked about Orlando Brown and Creed Humphrey. They've been, they've been elite. I mentioned Ben Powers. And you mentioned Ben Powers last week, too. He's the guy I listed as very good. After a slow start to his career in Baltimore, uh, he has been a full-time starter the past three seasons and – he signed a free agent deal with the Broncos before the 2023 season, and he was a starter every single game for Denver this past year. So made it a, to his made it to his second contract, and he got paid. That tells you everything you need to know. The next guy I put I put in the fine category is Cody Ford, and Ford. It's kind of a it's man. It's a it's a disappointing situation for Cody Ford because he was a two year starter for the Bills his first two seasons. Uh, he was a right tackle as a rookie, then he got moved to right guard. And the problem was in 2020, his second season, he tore his meniscus midway through the year. And since he tore his meniscus, he's been a part-time starter, mostly a backup. And it's like the injury must have just derailed his career because now he's with the Bengals and he had one start this past season. So now he's kind of just turned into a backup. I still think Cody Ford's 2018 season at right tackle is the best season an OU offensive lineman has had under Bill Bedenboe. That's the most dominant I've seen an offensive lineman under Bill Bedenboe. He was exceptional that season. A very hard man to move, that's for sure. In the JAG category, just a guy category, Bobby Evans and Drew Samia. Bobby Evans ended up making 12 career starts for the Rams, was on the Jaguars practice squad this past season, and now he's going to try to resurrect his career in the old UFL, the old merger between the XFL and the USFL, playing for, for Bob Stoops. So he's with Bob Stoops' team. So 
Bobby Evans will be playing this spring. And Drew Samia is also on that roster <laughs> with, the, with the Renegades. Uh, Samia only made four career starts. He has not played in the NFL since 2020. So, and he was uh, he was drafted by we'll the see. Vikings. And um, when Vikings fans are, you know, are are intimately familiar with a with a right guard who plays, that's usually not a good thing. And he was uh, he was public enemy number one for a long time of of Vikings fans, or at least in the like in the one season where he actually was sort of like a a guy who played quite a bit for them. Which hey, that sounds familiar. I mean, like even on those. <laughs> The Joe Moore award-winning offense. It was always Samia we, everyone was complaining about. But when he was good, he was really good. Yeah, and he was always kind of a hothead, too. He's just, yeah, he very emotional player. Let's see. In the nothing category, unfortunately, I had to throw in Marquise Hayes. Marquise Hayes was drafted in 2022, and the Cardinals took him. Never played a game. Uh, he had one more. Like, the thing with him is he had one additional year of eligibility still left at Oklahoma and like, I'm sure in hindsight Marquise is probably like yeah I should have stayed because like would you have preferred to see Marquise Hayes playing one of those guard positions in uh, 2022 over Chris Murray or McCade Mattire yes absolutely I, I Marquise Hayes is, is one of the more um, disappointing sort of like he, he absolutely should have stayed one other year but like guys who are that big should not move as well as he does. And it was always, when I think of Marquise Hayes, man, I just, I think of, there was so much more there that I, I, I do not think he tapped out his potential at all. And um, that's too bad. I mean, that's, you know, it's, that seems like, you know, kind of the story of Savion Bird when he was here as well. I mean, Marquise Hayes, way bigger than Savion Bird. But um, I should remember Marquise Hayes as a true freshman. There was that, and he, he was, as a true, he was huge as a true freshman, but I, there was that video going around of him dunking on like on a 10 foot hoop oh, yeah. as a, and it right. was just like oh my gosh that guy can move and um yeah i i wish it, it makes me wonder if, he, if he's one of those guys who you know it's it's a cliche in sports right he's one of those guys who's got all the ability in the world and maybe he just didn't the his his habits and everything didn't just didn't match up with the talent yeah and maybe it was easier for him too to move on because that happened like riley left and so maybe his thought was like oh well, that's kind of like a natural a new coaching staff's coming in here, and I only have one year left. And I, I'm sure if you, I don't know. I, mean, I guess I have no idea what he's doing right now. I mean, maybe he's working in a career, doing something that he really enjoys, and he's not even thinking about football. I don't know, but uh, man, I, especially these guys that stick around so long these days, it would have been nice to have him back. Even though that 2022 offensive line was still pretty good, it was it was, it was very good. The, the, it was still the, the yeah, defense was, was bad, and yeah. Um, but I'm, you know, it was uh, the, the trio, the, the Marquise Hayes, Adrian Ely, Tyrese Robinson trio. I, I think we, we all agree that they, they did not live up to expectations. They, they were kind of a disappointing group, but they were still, still good. Still good. Just not, not kind of where we hoped that they would get. And finally, two more guys to talk about. Too early to tell on Anton Harrison. Obviously, he just finished up his rookie season. Uh, had a good year, played for Jacksonville, starting right tackle, started every single game for the Jaguars. His PFF grade, not great, only 53. Turns out, sounds like Anton's really good at pass blocking, like a great pass blocker, not great at run blocking. <laughs> so that's kind of his, uh, his weakness. It might be, uh, might be the future of Tyler Guyton when Tyler Guyton gets drafted. Like guy that's great at pass blocking, needs to improve at run blocking. There were four other 
offensive lineman in the first round taking taken ahead of Anton Harrison and all four of them ended up having better rookie seasons Paris Johnson Darnell Wright which I'm happy that Darnell Wright had a good year with the Bears uh, Peter Skaronsky from Northwestern by the way Darnell Wright's from Tennessee Paris Johnson from Ohio State and uh, Broderick Jones from Georgia and Broderick Jones obviously is in the too early to tell category for Georgia but he had a, uh, a pretty good year with the the Steelers but did not play nearly as much as Anton Harrison and all three of the, or all four of those players graded out over 60 for a PFF grade and Anton's was was low 50s but I mean obviously Anton's become the starting right tackle for the Jaguars and so he's in a great spot to improve and and, and be you know be better as his career goes on so okay it, it, yeah really interesting stuff I um It'll be interesting to see kind of where, where Tyler Guyton gets drafted. I I, I, just, I mean, if you're an offensive lineman in the NFL, you, your number one priority is obviously to be a good pass blocker. I mean, that is just, if you, are, if you are a very good pass blocker, you'll play in the NFL for a long time. Yeah. And the last guy in the too early to tell category is old, our old buddy Wanye, Wanye Morris. And he's on the Chiefs right now. He made four starts for them this past season. And his PFF grade was 54.6. So he's been a, a reserve for the most part for the Chiefs. So, I mean, not a bad team to be on. <laughs> That's for sure. So we'll I, it feels it's so odd the last two seasons OU has had. I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I thought Wanya Morris was a little bit of a bust at OU. Um, and then it ends up, you know, he's protecting Patrick Mahomes' blind side. And he's you know, going to be playing for a trip to the AFC championship game tonight. And I... I thought it was just so funny whenever I thought the offensive line in 2022 was better when Tyler Guyton was in there over Wanya Morris. And then you got Wanya Morris basically, you know, opting out halfway through November this season. Um, and I thought, and Wanya Morris was a really good pat, or not, not I'm sorry, not Wanya. Um, um, Guyton. Sorry, yeah. Tyler Guyton was really good at pass blocking this season. But then it was also curious to me that the offensive line didn't start to lean on people in the run game and start to get that figured out until Jacob Sexton had completely replaced Tyler Guyton in the starting lineup. And so I like it was just kind of a weird it's like that happened two years in a row for guys that OU is is, is about to put into the NFL and are going to be prominent players. I think it's interesting. Also, it'll it's all about fit too. I mean, Wanye, I mean, not a there's not a much much better place to go if you're an offensive lineman than go to Kansas City, where you're got you got the best quarterback in the league on your team, and he'll just by default, Mahomes and the system will probably make you look even better, and that's certainly got to help. I mean, that's definitely helped Creed Humphrey and Orlando Brown. I mean, they're both really good players, but would they be as good as they are if they were somewhere else? I mean, maybe, but it certainly helps to be with the Chiefs. That's for sure. Moving along, and this is the point of the show where I say that this is West of Everest. If you've listened to us for a long time, you know that West of Everest is not a recruiting podcast. <laughs> but, man, it's January, and there's not a whole lot going on, so I threw in a couple of notes here about the 2025 recruiting class. And uh, it's currently in the 247 composite. Number three right now. I know. I think on on three though, it's like number nine or eight or something. So it's. I don't know. I mean, do you have any thoughts on the twenty twenty five recruiting class? Or like, we've actually gone a lot longer already in the show than I thought we would. So we may not even need to talk about any of this stuff because this is not our specialty. But I'll throw it over to you. 
Honestly, no. I, I haven't even, I have not graduated into to thinking about the 2025 recruiting class yet. The The schedule is just so much weirder now. Uh, my, like my, my attention, you know, this time of year now is totally on the transfer portal and, and not necessarily on, on the 2025. I do know that 2025 is supposed to be really, really rich for offensive linemen that OU is in, is in solid with right now. So we'll see if they can close on those. But uh, I, I know there's some confidence that, that they're going to continue recruiting really well in this class because there's it's also there's a lot of good Oklahoma kids in Oklahoma in 2025, and that always like that always kind of like when OU is really really good it seems like it always lines up with there being like a really good class in Oklahoma and the last one I can think of that was just like overwhelmingly good right was the 2006 class with Gerald McCoy Sam Bradford Jermaine Gresham um, if they can get if there's like another class like that it's really it's like pretty easy to kind of like look ahead and say like yeah OU is going to be good like a couple of years away from that class so we'll see yeah I'm looking at the 2025 class right now they have nine commits so far six of them from Oklahoma and like three of them are from Carl Albert which if you're familiar with Oklahoma football Carl Albert's a dominant class 5a school they win the state title a ton and there had not been a whole lot of Carl Albert guys that Oklahoma has gotten recently at all and now all of a sudden Brent Venables gets here and they're just going after Carl Albert which you see a lot of coaches they like to go after players from programs that are elite and programs that win because they like winners so that's probably a big part of it and also they produce good players um, and I mean Oklahoma State has gotten some Carl Albert kids let's see uh, Texas Tech's best safety is a Carl Albert kid Dadrian Taylor even though now it's Dadrian Taylor Emerson or I but I he wasn't that when he was at Carl Albert he was he played running back he was really good running back and then he switched to defensive back at Texas Tech um, I know Oklahoma State had uh, Jason Taylor who was a Carl Albert kid he was one of their best defensive backs for years safety for Oklahoma State he was really good seemed like he was better than a lot of the guys Oklahoma had back in the secondary in the safety spot so I mean there's been some talent that has gone to other schools in the Big 12 at Carl Albert, and now it would seem that Brent Venables is like, yep, we're going to go ahead and I'm here, and we're going to go after Carl Albert kids, and hopefully that works out. There's one guy in this class I've seen play a little bit, and that's Jaden Nickens from Millwood, and he's pretty good. I like his, his size. It's just, uh, I mean, the history of Millwood guys, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm looking at Marcus Major. He, sorry, sorry. I mean, maybe Marcus will be a, a, a great back at Minnesota. We'll see. But uh, I will say, though, they uh, another running back from Millwood that had a great bowl game. I'm, his name is escaping me for like Ohio. If you watch the Ohio bowl game, I can't remember the guy's name, but he had like four or five touchdowns, a Millwood back. I remember seeing him at Millwood and he was awesome. And apparently he's going to be he's probably going to be Ohio's like main back next year. I think uh, their main running back, I guess, opted out of the bowl game. He might be an NFL guy. So, I don't know. Just, that's kind of my Millwood thoughts for now. But uh, just wanted to mention that Jaden Nickens is a guy that I saw him play a little bit when I was still covering you know, high school stuff for News 9. And I remember thinking, this guy's pretty good and pretty long and pretty rangy. So, we'll see if he, he's a four-star player. So, we'll see if he can be anything at Oklahoma. Other than that, yeah, let's just skip over. Because there's a couple players they've offered, but I don't, who knows if they're even going to go to OU, so who cares? Next up, uh, hey, how about our boy uh, our boy Ted, the roofer? Just like that. Moving on. 
new job going to UCF. RIP in peace to the UCF defense. <laughs> Sorry, it's y'all. Sad. That is, uh, I mean, there you go. We, we knew the Mr. Roof was going to, he's got a lot of connections. Everyone likes him. And Gus Malzahn's like, you know what? Here we go. Bring, uh, bring your ladder, bring your shingles over. You're going to go ahead and, and, and fix up this defense over here. Go ahead and put some, <laughs> got, got a little leaks here in this roof, but you're the guy for the job. Oh, boy, oh, boy. You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him. Good for him. I, I hope, uh, hope it works out there. And kind of, kind of disappointed that OU can't uh, can't play UCF because that would uh, seems like it would be very <laughs> fruitful for them. But seriously, I mean, like, I, you know, hats off to Ted Roof. He did what he was supposed to do here, and uh, man, he he got a job really quick after that. So it just it shows you the dude's obviously very, very respected within college football. Indeed. So wanted to mention that. Caleb Williams declares for the draft. Finally, it was like the last day, I guess, that they could have declared and he put out a statement and i mean he said a bunch of nice things about oklahoma or at least mentioned oklahoma also obviously usc and so the question is i talked about this with brady a little bit on our podcast or on on the through the keyhole podcast so you may have heard me talk about that a little bit if you listen to that show and i know brady likes caleb williams uh i i think i mean like how do we feel about caleb williams now that he's off to the nfl because I think on, I mean, we talked about, obviously, he was, like, I've always liked Caleb Williams. I, I never held it against him for leaving Oklahoma to go with Lincoln Riley to USC because I knew he came to OU mainly because of Lincoln Riley and Riley's recent track record of putting quarterbacks in the NFL. And here we go. Caleb Williams probably going to be the number one pick in the NFL draft. So that's, that's why he came to Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley, and I think that's going to get him to where he wants to go. So, like, Grant, what do you think? I mean, like, what are we feeling about Caleb Williams now that his college career is over? Not as much of a slam dunk in the NFL as I, I, I don't feel he is. He, I don't feel he's as much of a slam dunk now as I did two years ago. Uh, but that doesn't mean, I mean, I think he's, he's the clear number one quarterback in this class, I think. But, um, and, and like, I know, like, his numbers were better this year and he was, like, graded fairly higher, you know, high this year and everything. I, when I watched him, I thought he was worse this year than he was last year. I thought he regressed. So I'm whether or not that had a lot to do with you know USC's offensive line being pretty bad this year, um, and just kind of like that entire program sort of like falling apart a little bit midway through the season. I'm not sure, but uh, I think it's interesting. I mean, if he goes to Chicago, that's that's objectively interesting. You go, you got Caleb Williams, who I think you know is probably you know, the most talented player that Chicago has maybe ever drafted if they end up going in that direction. But you're also going to a, 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 an organization that has uh, just, a, just a terrible track record with quarterbacks. And, and I, think, uh, I think that's a really interesting storyline. So we'll see. And if, they, and if they end up hiring, you know, Cliff Kingsbury has been sort of rumored about them, you know, hiring Cliff to be the offensive coordinator. And like, obviously, there's a very clear Caleb Williams connection there because he was an analyst this year at USC. I gotta tell you, I, I think I think them hiring Cliff as an OC would be uh, a really big mistake. I we talked we talked about this a little bit earlier this week in a text thread. Um, I, I think Cliff Kingsbury is an objective failure as an offensive coach in the NFL. That would be a really bad hire for Chicago. So I don't think they're gonna hire Cliff. I I think uh, I mean a big part of that maybe is just kind of getting some intel on Caleb Williams and. 
I, I don't think he was a failure in the NFL. I, I think his offense was not as good in the NFL, uh, and it was not as imaginative. But the Bears have – I mean, Cliff Kingsbury it's, – it's the low Bears self-esteem. I, I like the Bears. That's my NFL team. They've never had a good offensive coordinator. Like, Cliff Kingsbury would instantly be an upgrade over anybody they've had, even though his time in the NFL with the Cardinals was not great. I, him not being a head coach and him just being an OC, uh, his, his resume is really good. I mean, mostly in college. He's creative. And they could do a lot worse than Cliff Kingsbury. I wouldn't be super, like, with Caleb Williams' pair, like, I'd be like, okay, I could talk myself into it. But, yeah, I mean, I'd prefer somebody maybe with – a different track record than Cliff. The thing with, with Caleb Williams going to Chicago, yes, it's, it's been a terrible place for quarterbacks. It's where quarterbacks have gone to die. But the problem with that, and I think more about it, is the Bears have literally had no good quarterbacks. They, I think like, all the guys they've had have been bad other places too. Like Rex Grossman was never good anywhere else. Kyle Orton was the same guy in Denver. He was in Chicago. Jay Cutler was always Jay Cutler. Jay Cutler was the same guy in Denver, fine. He was with the Bears, fine. Went to Miami, fine. Like, nothing special. Caleb Williams would by far be the most talented quarterback they've ever had, and his immediate competition to that are Justin Fields, Mitch Trubisky, and Jay Cutler. Those are the three quarterbacks that would be his competition for best, most talented quarterback. So that's what would, would get me kind of excited is like, oh, man, Caleb is is much more talented than all three of those guys at all the most important things, which is throwing the ball consistently and completing passes. Uh, it's weird. Justin Fields is college stats in a lot of ways are actually better than Caleb Williams is, which is kind of surprising. Oh, yeah. Fields, Fields' numbers at Ohio State were absurd. At the 2019, he was great for Ohio State. But man, like. He, I mean, I've seen him play now for three years with the Bears, and he, he's incredibly talented. I love his size. He's an awesome elite runner. He just cannot, he cannot figure out the passing game. He's sure too it's, slow. It's processing speed, I'm sure. I, I think that is like, that's the big, that's the big dividing line in football these days now. Like you just, I, and, and like, I'm sure it's always been like that. You know, you're, you know, I'm sure the best, all the best quarterbacks of all time are, are quick processors. But I, I look. I mean, I watch Justin Field. I mean, you can see the ability dripping off of him, but yet it's still it doesn't connect fully, and it it has to be that it has to be the processing part of it. I think he holds the ball maybe longer than any quarterback in the NFL. He he just I don't think he can anticipate where to go with it. And part of this is on his offensive coaching staff. They need to be better. They need to be able to play more to his strengths. But I think Caleb Williams could come in immediately as a rookie and be a better passer than Justin Fields in the NFL. I just You've seen it in college. He's so much quicker getting rid of the football. I think he sees things better. Uh, and that's the name of the game these days. You've got to be able to throw the ball consistently. And the problem with Justin Fields as well is that he's an injury risk. He's been banged up. He missed some time this year. His style of play, he gets hurt. And I, don't, I, mean, I don't think the Bears are going to pay him. They're, they're going to try to trade him, but I think most GMs probably know that. So I don't know what his value is going to be because – most GMs are going to be thinking, well, you want to get rid of this guy anyways. Will there be somebody desperate enough to give, a, you know, give up a first-round pick for Fields? That would be awesome. I'd love that. I'm not going to bank on it because, again, I think most GMs are probably going to expect the Bears to try to move on from him and trade him. But, uh, yeah, it's 
My my one concern about Caleb is consistently facing better defenses, obviously, in the NFL. Like, when he would face good defenses in college, he he wouldn't look as good. He had some good games here and there. I mean, like, his Heisman year against Utah, which has always been a good defense, they lost those games. But you look back at his numbers, and those numbers are great against Utah. Like, he... He, oh yeah, I mean, what, that, Utah. that first game that year they lost like forty three to forty two on the road. They put up a lot of points, and then in the Pac twelve championship game, he was he was dealing until he got banged up, and then they fell off a cliff. And then this past season, Notre Dame had a good defense, and he looked bad against Notre Dame. He looked that would bad. Make it, he maybe looked his worst. He, yeah, he looked like he did yeah. against Baylor in twenty twenty one against Notre Dame. Yep. So that's kind of my biggest concern: is how does he? adjust to playing these better defenses but and not going to compare the guy to Patrick Mahomes who has already established himself as the best quarterback in the league coming out of college comparing Patrick Mahomes in college to Caleb Williams in college that's okay I think that's pretty comparable Caleb Williams is awesome so and Patrick Mahomes never faced consistent great defenses at Texas Tech and he's been able to figure it out in the NFL granted a big part of that probably is because he went to a good organization with a good head coach that knew how to unlock all of his strengths. That's the thing that the Bears will have to do. They have pieces. They have tons of draft capital. They have lots of money. Uh, their defense improved immensely over the last half of the season. It, it was one of the best defenses in the NFL the last half of the year. It was like a top five, top seven defense in the NFL randomly. And it's only going to get better, you would think. So, Caleb could go into a situation there with a pretty good defense and they're going to spend some money on the offensive line. Probably DJ Moore is awesome. They're going to probably draft a receiver at some point, get him another, get some more guys. Cole Komet's a pretty solid tight end. So there are some pieces that it's all set up for a, in theory, for a rookie quarterback to come in there to potentially not look like a rookie, not look like Bryce Young did this past season in Carolina. I mean, you got to end I think it is like for for Caleb Williams' personality and everything. I mean, Chicago is obviously a good city for him. It's a the big city. It's a big. It's big time. Really passionate fans, kind of crazy fans. Um, and I Caleb Williams. I mean, if he is drafted number one by the Bears, it's absolutely on the table for him to be the most popular Chicago Bear of all time. Oh gosh, yeah. Not even close. And so anyway, yeah, it's it's interesting. So when I say, uh, we talked about this a little bit with Brady on, on his podcast, back to Oklahoma stuff, what is the, the main thing you think of with Caleb Williams when you think back to like his college career, like his time at OU? Like what stands Texas, out to you the most? The Texas game, of course. And it just helps that I was there. And like, we re, uh, like after he kind of announced his, his, his NFL decision earlier this week, and of course, I mean, he, he put like horns down stuff in there, which is like, I know it's kind of cheesy or whatever, but yeah, that works. I like, guess that's cool. Like I'm glad that he he paid lip service to that because it was a big deal, and I, I admit it. I I went back. I've watched I've watched highlights of that 2021 Texas game a couple of times this week, and it's, it remains awesome what he what he 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 went in and did there. And you know the halfway through the third quarter to the end of that game, it's actually it's crazy to watch a Lincoln Riley team just make play after play after play. It's crazy. On offense, well, yeah, their offense. On, no, on, on, I mean they were making plays on defense too in the in the second half of that game. But yeah. of course they they gave it up, and you know, oh, he's backup quarterback now. Casey Thompson threw a dime to Xavier Worthy to tie that game with like a minute and a half to go, and 
Yeah. So Fun Texas game. is the easy one. That'll be the thing he's most remembered by by OU fans. But for me, I think maybe because I wasn't at the game, I was back in Oklahoma City. I had to anchor the newscast for News Nine, the sportscast. So I, I didn't get to get a chance to go. So that to me, that's not my number one thing. My number one thing for Caleb Williams, I think back is the Kansas game, him taking the ball away from Kennedy Brooks on fourth down, essentially saving the game, saving them from losing to Kansas, which then didn't matter because two years later, then they lost to Kansas and Lawrence. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I like absolutely that that Kansas game sticks out too. But I, I think for you, Lee, I think I think the reason why that Kansas game is is really fresh in your mind is because I, I think looking back now in retrospect, that that game, that moment was when you lost it with Lincoln Riley. Like if you look back on it in retrospect, I feel like that's why that game always kind of where it's just like I. Maybe you didn't realize it at the time, but I think after that game, you had emotionally moved on from the guy. And you were just like, I figure it out. Figure it out. Oh, yeah. I, man, that's actually, I mean, yeah, there's, we did a lot, of, a lot of breaking down the game film from that game. I mean, it's just. Because you were right. I mean, it was unacceptable. It was unacceptable. That was, and that was the first year of Lance Leipold. And you could also say, in retrospect, maybe that was a sign of, like, of the feistiness to come with Kansas as well. So just because we can say it objectively now, that awful Kansas team was better coached than that OU team. I mean, that's oh, pretty yeah. clear. Not, not even close. Yeah. Much more disciplined, and, just a better coached, more organized team. Yeah, it's just an absolute joke. And that'd be kind of fun to go back and listen to some of our post pods from that game. I mean, it was only two years ago, but I mean, it was, yeah. I mean, we had, I, we had very different attitudes after that game, you know, because OU was 8-0. And I was just like, whatever, they're eight. No, they have Caleb Williams. Just move on. Don't worry about it. But you were, you know, you were right. You, you had it, you had it pegged a lot, a lot more accurately than I did. Absolutely. Hmm. It, it may not, I mean, it was, it was more of a Kansas thing, I think probably than just like a whole season thing, just because And a big part of it, I remember is I can't remember if it happened earlier that year already, or maybe it happened later, but like you know, Oklahoma State, like every every team with a pulse that played that Kansas team, even though it was better with Lance Seipold, beat the crap out of it. Like smoked it. Didn't matter if they're playing in Lawrence or and yet Oklahoma almost lost to them. And it's like that's that's just unex I mean, Oklahoma State that season was was uh I guess pretty I mean solid, pretty good. I mean, obviously they no, beat they were good. They were, they were like, yeah, they're a yard or two like, away from from yeah, going to the college true. football playoff. Yeah, and they beat I think they beat that Kansas team by like fifty. In Lauren, I mean, it wasn't even it wasn't even a game. Like it wasn't even didn't even leave any doubt. And I can't remember if that if that had happened before the OUKU game or if that happened like a week or two later. I think it might have happened the next week. I don't I don't know. Uh, but just back to that play though. Just I Caleb Williams had enough awareness in that moment to do something in a game that in foot I had never seen before ever in football. And I don't know if anybody's ever seen that where a guy literally takes the ball away from his teammate. Because he sees that this is a big moment, and he's going to be stopped, and he gets the first down, and that that saved the game for OU. Because just to remind everyone, if Caleb doesn't do that, Kennedy Brooks was stopped. He was short. Kansas was getting the football back near like their own like forty forty five, so like with half the field to go, down by five, and they were just gashing Oklahoma's terrible defense. OU loses that game probably. Well, actually, you know what? I take it back because I remember probably part of that podcast. Afterwards, I think I probably made the point of like, you know what? Oh, you probably still would have figured out a way to win that game because they randomly in that season, 
even though their defense was bad, they would still find a way to somehow win. Like they probably would have figured out some lucky Kansas would have shot themselves in the foot that last drive. And they still would have maybe somehow found a way to stop Kansas from they scoring. They found ways to win in that because they it was a terrible defense, but a terrible defense that still had like six NFL draft picks on it. Yeah. So, anyways, what yeah, the joke. Kansas. What a joke! I mean, I'm so, like wasted freaking Nick Benito, one of the best defensive players I've seen at OU in the last decade. Wasted him completely. We were thinking playoff and potential national championship appearance before that season. Spencer Rattler, potential Heisman candidate, and turns out they had a better quarterback as a backup. And still, it just—I randomly watched—I randomly watched highlights from that uh, the Cotton Bowl against Florida from the COVID year. And I don't know what happened to Spencer Rattler. It's been like Rattler's numbers weren't like amazing in that game, and like he missed on some stuff. But they—they they took a lot of shots in that game. Like they threw the ball down the field a ton in that game, and you just. Rattler is just showing off his howitzer like at all times, like just effortlessly flicking his wrist and the ball is going 60 yards in the air. And then I'm just like, he, I don't think we've seen that from him once in, in his, his remaining college career. Like what happened? What happened to that dude? He certainly didn't do it in 2021. He was captain checkdown. I don't, I, I, I won't claim to, to watch a bunch of South Carolina stuff. He, maybe he did it with South Carolina and Shane Beamer. I don't know. Just saw a, um, just saw actually a stat like one of those like kind of plot graphs or whatever, and it was um, one of the uh, you know w- one of the things on there was average depth of target, and for like quarterbacks in college who played who played a lot of snaps this year, he was near the bottom in average depth of target for this season, and, that, and you know that could be because I'm sure South Carolina's offensive line was hideous, and um, you know Juice Wells got hurt and he didn't really have him to throw to the entire year, but. I mean, it's the same deal in 2021. Like, they're, he, they barely threw the ball down the field. And they had Marvin Mims. Remember how weird that was? Marvin Mims didn't score a touchdown until the Texas game that season. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 2020, looking at his numbers for Spencer Rattler, just total outlier, man. Like, his, his yards per attempt in 2020 was 9.6, which is really good. It's very good. And 2021, 7.9. 2022 at South Carolina, 7.6. And this past season at South Carolina, all the way up to eight. <laughs> but still, like, more than a yard and a half less than his best year. And for his career, he averaged 8.2 yards per attempt, which is not awful, but it's not good. I mean, for a college quarterback, it's like you want to be able to push the ball down the field. So I don't know what it was. It Something with 2020. Maybe, maybe losing – two early games just took all the pressure off and he was like yo forget it i'm just gonna swing it around here and and it ended up making you know him have his best season of his career his second year in college his first year as a starter all right i feel like i had one more thing to say what oh yeah the the one other thing with caleb williams aside from the kansas one was the next week against tcu i have that game i and specifically his long touchdown run against tcu in his first start, that was the uh, TCU game. Was after uh, was after Texas. He was great in that game. I sorry, uh, yeah, yeah. After after the Texas game, his his first career start, yeah. But that was, I mean, I remember after the the KU game though. It's like it was crazy. They still had one more game left before their only bye week, and they played Texas Tech at home the next week, and they played probably their best game of the season against Texas Tech. And so I think that calmed a lot of people down going into the bye week. But that's when that's when all of the crap started with Lincoln Riley. Is that bye week? 
when it was obvious he was in Southern California and <laughs> all of the weird stuff, you know, started to happen and they came out and like, I just completely unprepared to play Baylor and, and as a Baylor team, that's a good Baylor team, but it was mostly good because they had Jalen Petrie, who is one of the best college defenders I've, I've seen in the last decade. Um, I, man, that's, that's so disappointing thinking back on, I don't even want to so stupid. Well, in that case, we'll move on to the next thing. Want to just, uh, kind of clean up something we briefly touched on the last episode. And actually, I think it happened during our show, but we missed it. Mentioned, you know, talk about Alabama and the whole situation with Saban, the transfer portal, all that stuff. Isaiah Bond, you mentioned, I think on the show, you're like, I hope Isaiah Bond doesn't go to Texas. Well, Isaiah Bond is going to Texas, so that happened. And Bama's lost a lot of guys to the portal. And I don't know if any of them is going to come to Oklahoma. Probably not. (laughs) But... No, uh, yeah, they're, they're not. That's not, um, I, that's not OU's strategy right now. It does not appear to be. Nope. And so, and you know what? I, I think we're going to get a very good idea of whether or not that strategy can work out in the SEC because we have two really, really valuable little guinea pigs on this. We have Mizzou and Ole Miss to find out. I guarantee if Mizzou and Ole Miss go to the playoff this upcoming year and OU does not, they will probably switch stuff up and they will probably attack it in a different way. We shall see. Pretty interesting. By the way, the I saw, let's see, let me pull it up. One of the offensive linemen, let's see, Caden Proctor. He was that big old freshman left tackle for Bama that when I watched him play, I just I couldn't believe that guy was starting at the not not just starting, but with the left tackle. I mean, he would get he got beat like a drum against USF when they played them back in September and didn't look great against Michigan, but very few teams do. Just a big old dude. He's like 350 360 like number 74 and he entered the portal he was a five-star prospect and i just saw today i think he i think today or yesterday he committed to iowa pretty sure he is from iowa oh oh yeah he's so from Des Moines. Like, i think there you go it was like a huge it was it was an iowa versus alabama battle when he was a recruit so like it's gotcha I, he's just going home and you know what you can do worse than iowa they they put a lot of dudes in the league on the offensive line so it's I I'm going to guess honestly, he's a good run blocker. He's probably a good road grader. So yeah, there you go. You can. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can you can almost argue that it's, you know, maybe for him right now, that's a better place to get developed right now. Just wanted to throw that in there as well. It's kind of relate back to Bama's offensive line, maybe not being that great this past season. Other than that, any other OU related things I've missed that you want to hit on before we move on to the NFL? Well, just kind of on that same vein there, I just wanted to bring up, I thought one of the more interesting things that happened this week was, was Caleb Downs going to, going to Ohio State. Um, I think with that, it's like one, I'm glad that he didn't go anywhere in the SEC that OU has to play against. So that's awesome because it's, 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 a, it's very arguable that Caleb Downs was going to be the best defender that OU saw next season just in general on any team. And that is no longer the case. But now I'm with with Caleb Downs out of the SEC. I think you can. I'm not saying this is a slam dunk. I'm just saying I think you can, you can reasonably reason yourself into believing that going into their first year of the SEC, OU might have the best safety and the best linebacker in the conference going into their first season in the league. I'm not saying that's a slam dunk. I'm just saying that you can reasonably talk yourself into it. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm not an expert on. 
safeties and secondary players in the SEC. So I have no idea if that's right or wrong. That's a lot of players and a lot of teams that I traditionally just don't certainly care about those positions. Maybe I'll know about their quarterbacks, but uh, get a lot more look at them now. That OU's there. Finally, Baker Mayfield and the Bucks are going to be playing the Lions today coming up uh, around, what, 2 o'clock, I think, is their, their game. And it's just, uh, yeah, like it's been a long time since we've talked Baker on this podcast, but now he's you know, had, a, had a nice year with the Bucks, won a playoff game in a game where I think a lot of teams probably would have won a playoff game because the Eagles just collapsed. So it might have just been a facade and – Obviously, hope Baker does well today against the against the Lions. I, I'm not holding my breath. I think the Lions kind of seem like one of those teams of destiny right now. Weirdly, in the NFC, and uh, so we'll I agree. See, but I'm, I'm I'm curious to see that for sure. Um, but also, I don't I don't think the Lions are that great though either. I I think that that's a team that the Bucks can definitely beat. And so I'm I mean I'm, I'm going to be watching today and I'm going to be super into it because I I mean. How cool would it it'd be so sweet if Baker got to an NFC championship game? That'd be awesome. And like it's it's not likely. I'm not saying that it's likely, but I'm it's fun. About a couple of years ago, I'd kinda I don't want to say I gave up on Baker, but like I kind of I had started to emotionally remove my attachment from it. Because, you know, after he was drafted by the Browns and you know, I I don't really love the NFL. It doesn't, I, you know, I follow it and I know what's going on a lot of the time, but it doesn't really ignite my passions really that much. And so a lot of the time, like my favorite team was just whatever, you know, Baker Mayfield was doing. And so it, it's fun that that's back now. And so I'm, I'll be, I'll be watching today and I'll be fired up either way. Yeah. I mean, Baker's put together a decent career. It's nice to see him kind of get back and, Heck, being the guy coming after Tom Brady and having a season very kind of very similar to what Brady did. And I think he's had I think he's cool. I think on the whole, like with all things considered, he he had his best season in the NFL so far this year. And it wasn't an elite year, but he was he was definitely a top half quarterback in the league this year. And I think if he's able to do that, he can definitely hang on for another six, seven years in the league. That's a long time. I mean, that would be a long, long, long career. He's got to we'll stay, healthy. A contract stay the, healthy. Yeah. I mean, he's banged up right now. And my main issue, like where I think he's going to, he'll struggle today, I think. I mean, Aiden Hutchinson will get after him. Like, it seems like whenever they play against these defensive linemen that can really get up the field and give him problems, like, yeah, Baker can move a little bit, but it's Baker. He's not, he's not the greatest guy. And it seems like he gets flustered more than he did in, in college. And, and even if they do get back past the lines and they got to deal with the Niners defensive line and, I don't think Baker's played well against the Niners in his career, like not at all. So it's just, it's not the greatest matchups. Maybe the Bucks defense and Todd Bowles can get after Jared Goff, and you know they're super aggressive. But the problem is the Bucks defense has not been nearly as good this year as, as you know. Obviously, it was those couple of years where Brady was taking won the Super Bowl with the Bucks and then got the NFC Championship or whatever that was. Like it's just not nearly as the same Bucks defense, and so. I, the Lions will probably be able to figure it out. And it's, it's too bad because, man, it'd be great to see. Like, look at the Ravens yesterday. The Ravens are tied at half with the Texans. And then the Ravens defense just like, okay, I've had enough of this. And just shut down the Texans and allows the Ravens offense to do whatever it wants. Lamar has no problems. And that, Lamar Jackson has always had a good defense. Like, maybe their offense is better now. Maybe this is the year for the Ravens. And 
it seems like everything's kind of come up for him. Point being, it'd be kind of cool if Baker could have a maybe a, a season where his defense is elite. Jalen had that last year with the Eagles. The Eagles' defense was awesome last season, and he was really good. Go to the Super Bowl. Uh, the Ravens' defense is always awesome. It's either elite or like top five, top top eight in the NFL. It's always great. Baker's best Browns defense was probably the 2020 year they made the playoffs. Like it was good. I think it was like maybe maybe fringe top ten, maybe. But I mean, he's never had a defense that's like scaring other teams. And even this year with the Browns defense, which was like for the first half of the year, people were saying it was one of the best defenses ever. And then it turned out to be a pretty mediocre defense overall. Not that he was on the Browns, but yeah. I mean, I think the biggest I think the biggest factor in his success this season has been he's for the first time in his career. He has two very good, competent receivers to throw to. And that was like him being able to throw to Mike Evans is like Mike Evans basically had a Mike Evans year this season. And um, I thought it was a big deal. Like, I mean, who's his best? His best receiver in, in Cleveland was always Donovan Peoples-Jones. <laughs> I mean, you had Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham. Oh, Jarvis Landry. You're, so. talking, you're talking about like literally maybe the most overrated NFL player of my lifetime, Jarvis Landry. Yeah, he, he wasn't very good. I mean, Baker, I mean, Baker probably should have gotten David and Joku going more like Flacco did this for the last half of the year. I mean, that guy, that guy was always a freak. And, uh, you know, Baker gets Kate Otten involved a little bit. I'm not even sure that Chris Godwin's on the team anymore, even though Chris Godwin's got a ton of catches somehow, but it's always for like five yards and it's not really part of the game. But yeah, I mean, Godwin's like invisible. He might've had one touchdown this year, maybe two. He was on our fantasy team. So that's, <laughs> I, I know that. Uh, but yeah, Mike Evans had a Mike Evans year. Like that's his favorite target. And I kind of have a sneaking suspicion that Mike Evans will have a good day today because he did not have a very good day against the Eagles. So it's almost like a bounce back situation. But we'll watch, and as much as I think the, I think the Lions are going to win, but I'd love to see Baker and the Bucks win. That'd be great, obviously, and hopefully he plays well. Hot take. Other than that, I don't have any thoughts about the basketball team. Glad they got the win over Cincinnati yesterday. It's a good win. But good win. It's a, it's a yeah. win that has absolutely escaped OU since, Port, since Porter Moser has been here, and that's a... Cincinnati is probably, I mean, is it probably like a fringe bubble tournament team and they beat them on the road? That's a really good win. Okay. I just wish they had more guys that could score. Shocker. Yeah. It's basketball. They're, um, they can't, they're just, they're really inconsistent. They, they glitch out uh, in, in really weird times. But I thought, you know, after, I thought, you know, they, they kind of weathered a storm right in the beginning. Like they didn't really score for the first six minutes of the game. And, from that point on, I, I thought they were pretty clearly the better team than Cincinnati. And um, they just they were able to weather the storm the second half. They got up by as much as nine, and then Cincinnati made a run there at the end. And, man, Otega Owe missing that free throw, the first one. But they were able to, Rivaldo Sorez and, and Darthard, they went four for four at the line to, to ice the game. And, like, that's just, that's huge. Yeah, that's that is, big. It's, it's awesome. Like, that's something, that's what wins you games in March in the tournament. Stuff like that. And, uh it was really, really nice to see that because I, I mean, I, I thought for sure that that I, both of them were going to miss the front end of those one and ones, and they did not. And now you got a pretty good spot coming up here on Tuesday against Texas, who's coming off a a big win over Baylor. So you got Texas kind of coming off a, a big win back home Kansas at LNC. Lost to West Virginia on the road, and oh gosh, 
That was and that was kind of the same thing. OU played West Virginia at home earlier this week, and oh, I mean OU played like crap in the first half, but then they just sort of turned it on in the second half, and and West Virginia looked not good. Like I was like, yeah, they're definitely the worst, the worst team in the league. And then, geez, man, Kansas goes on the road and can't beat them. Inter- interesting, interesting conference this year. Indeed. All right, well, we'll be back next week to talk more OU football, whatever comes about. Of course, shockingly, uh, we were able to do 90-plus minutes somehow, even though I didn't know we'd even get to an hour. But that's the way the show goes sometimes. Uh, if you have any thoughts, comments, make sure to leave them on the West of Evers Facebook page, and we will do our best to get back to you and address it on the show. Until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.